Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. Before we even get into the topic at hand, I gotta say, Bump, from Get Off My Lawn, your final take, that being that you hate being forced to tip at the beginning of any kind of service, is taking off on the Mac and Jack's text line. Vast majority of people agreeing. Uh, someone said, I'm a reasonable tipper. I usually always go with 20%. Easy math. That being said, isn't minimum wage already like 17? Why am I being asked for tip for everything? And why is 18% expected minimum? Now, I, again, I'll always tip no matter how much someone is making. Just right. it's like a tipping culture that like there is a lot of it that I embrace. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I've worked in a job where I depended on tips, so I totally understand. Uh, but I can't co-sign harder on the on the take about like if I go to get a coffee. <laughs> Why is there a $5 option for a $4 coffee at the beginning before you make the coffee? We went to, uh, obviously with, with the Hawks, we went to Germany last year. And uh, I tried to tip my uh, my waitress 20 bucks and she would not accept it. She's like, no. What? She's like, no, we, we don't tip. And I, so I just left it underneath like a, yeah. a glass or something. I know that's how it is in Italy. Like tipping is tipping is very different. I don't know what other countries are like the U.S., but I know U.S. tip culture is very different than mm-hmm. a lot of European countries. But and then you had someone telling you that uh, tipping has always been at the beginning, which that's not how it is today. <laughs> I don't care what it means. That's not how tipping works. Look up history. Today. I go okay. Well, I'm living in today. <laughs> yeah, I'm living in 2024, and how tipping works in the vast majority of food service inter- industries is at the end. At the end. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's just how it works. Um, I saw someone post a, f- a video the other day of getting a water bottle and then immediately going to like this self-checkout thing, and uh-huh. it gave a tipping option. And really? they were like, what am I tipping myself? <laughs> what? For what? Uh, all right, we got two topics here, and both pertain to the Seahawks. We're going to start with one that feels a little further away than Seattle, though, that being the Chiefs' defense. The Chiefs from 2019, when they had a defense that was allowing among the most yards in football, it didn't matter because they went to and won a Super Bowl, uh, have since then built an elite defense that has helped them get back to a Super Bowl in a year where their offense has scored the fewest points per game since 20. 20- T14, yes, long before Patrick Mahomes was actually there. Their offense has struggled. They've led the league in drop passes. Uh, they have not been scoring as many points per game as they have in years past. They're like middle of the road, which is weird to see for a Chiefs offense headed up by Patrick Mahomes. Um, they just don't have uh, the explosiveness that they have in years past, but it doesn't matter because they have the second best scoring defense in football. It's it's funny. We're not used to seeing it. When you think Chiefs, you think offense. You think Patrick Mahomes. Right. You think throwing the football. You don't think leaning into the run with Isaiah Pacheco, and you don't think leaning to their defense. That defense is why they're in the Super Bowl. That's why I think that this is the more impressive um, season for Patrick Mahomes. Now, you look at his past seasons, and my man has been all pro. What, his first year starting throws for, like, 50 touchdowns or something stupid like that. Um, He's had seasons where the numbers show you just how dominant this dude has been. But um, even if you have a Patrick Mahomes, you need personnel around him. You need receivers catching the football. You need – even Travis Kelsey isn't having the year that we're used to seeing him. I've seen him drop more footballs this year than I can remember his whole career. Um, Pat Mahomes in 2018, 50 touchdowns. In 2022, 41 touchdowns and a few seasons of high 30s in between that. Um, So I look at what Pat Mahomes has had to do this year to get this team to the Super Bowl. If we're talking about the the Chiefs in week 7, 8, 9, 10, 
I don't think anyone thinks they're going to the Super Bowl. I think that people are saying, all right, well, this is a year where they've lost some guys. You got to reload. You got to figure some things out, and we'll see what happens. You get into the playoffs, and Pat Mahomes is playing better. The receivers are catching the football, but the main thing that's been consistent is this defense, right? Now, we live in an age where I don't think people – really walk around or go around saying defense wins championships the way that it used to. No, the way anymore. it did in the early 2000s and the 90s and the 80s where defenses can really dominate a game physically by doing some dirty stuff and taking guys' head across the middle. It's just different now, right? So in an age where I'm looking at where I don't think defenses necessarily are uh, a top defense is vital to winning a championship, we're seeing that a good defense, if you have a superstar quarterback, is good enough for you guys to make a run. If you get into the playoffs and you protect the football the way that Pat Mahomes has, has not thrown an interception. If you get the football out of your hands the way Pat Mahomes has, has only been sacked a handful of times, and you find yourself a run game. So we're looking at a team that kind of changed the or one of the teams that changed the way we look at offenses a few years ago, throwing mm-hmm. the ball all across the yard, say, all right, let's get back to the fundamentals of football. Let's play good defense. Let's run the rock and let's take care of it through our quarterback. And you should be fine. So I, I like that. Um, it's fun to see the chiefs kind of make this transformation, not because they wanted to, because it was necessary for them to get to where they are today. Well, and it's fun to see them make a transformation using uh, picks type, the types of capital that would be at Seattle's disposal. So one of the things that you've done, if you're John Schneider is look around the NFC West at a 49ers team who finished, I think for four consecutive seasons at fourth in the NFC West at an Arizona Cardinals team who's finished fourth in the NFC West at a Rams team who's been very willing to wheel and deal in a million and five trades to get the star defensive players that they want. Right. When you're Seattle, you go, well, shoot. I know we haven't made the playoffs every single year, but we have far more often than not. We've gotten double-digit wins more often than not, and we're not looking at pick number two, number three, number four, right? I mean, that pick number five was the highest ever under Pete and John. Mm-hmm. Highest pick in 14 years. And they nailed it. And they nailed it, and they and they went and got a great defensive player. So there's this natural inclination to go, well, how can they really turn that defense around when they aren't working with the same draft capital? Well, wait a minute. Nor have the Chiefs. When you want to talk about teams that have won a ton over the last couple years, mm-hmm. Kansas City tops that list. And you know how they built out this defense? Yes, you have Trent McDuffie as a first-round pick. Granted, pick number 21 overall out of Washington. Go dogs! But you also have uh, Sneed, who came in as a fourth-round pick. Legereus Sneed, who's leading them in passes defense this year. He was a fourth-round pick uh, back in 2020. So, again, like they're making moves that the Seahawks – can realistically make a fourth-round pick, a fifth-round pick, a third-round pick, a late-first-round pick, maybe a little trade to bring in someone. And those guys are paying dividends. Yes, they knocked it out of the park uh, with someone like Chris Jones, who first-team All-Pro, Defensive Player of the Year nominee-type guy, constant pro bowler. But they also knocked it out of the park with some later-round picks. And that kind of mix is something Seattle can do. That is a recipe that you can make. You have the stuff in your kitchen for it. Exactly. I like that. You have the stuff in your kitchen. You're not you're not asking anybody to pick something up for you. You got it. And that's the way that the Hawks became the Seahawks that we know today, the modern era Seahawks, right? You draft a, a KJ Wright in the fourth round. Uh, you draft a, a Turbo, Big Ups Turbo in the fourth, Russell Wilson in the third. Uh, you draft, who else we got there? Anyway, you get my drift. They have done a great job. 10, 12 years ago, or did a great job 10, 12 years ago, drafting late. So when you have success, you're not going to have the options that you have. The only reason why you got that high draft pick was because of the deal that you made um, 
with uh, with Russell and all them, right? Correct. So I got the number five pick, and then also you got that number nine pick as well. So if you're not losing ball games, you're either getting rid of expensive assets to yep. get these picks, which at this point I don't feel like you need to do, or your scouting department and your coaches are doing a great job finding these guys late in the draft. And stats say that most of the guys who hang around the NFL for a long time are drafted later in the draft anyway, right? I don't know if it's because you're still grinding to get that big paycheck, looking for that second contract or whatnot, but for some reason, these guys who have the most success are drafted later. Mm -hmm. So, yes, we're looking at the Chiefs and we're saying – Okay, they have that success. Uh, they haven't had a number one pick. How are they doing it? They're doing it exactly the way the Seahawks yep. have done it. So this is what encourages me when I say, or when I look at the situation, and I go, you got a new head coach. You got some great pieces here already. You're you're gonna you're gonna hit the draft. Maybe your approach is gonna be different now that Pete Carroll's not here. It's just Schneider and and Mike McDonald getting it done. It even throw a Leslie Frazier in there. He's gonna have some input too. This guy's been around the league for so long. Why wouldn't you pick his brain as well? So um, yeah, you have to take. The Chiefs approach of 2023, but the old Seahawks approach of 2011, 12, 13. Well, and it should give you a lot of optimism if you really want to hope, as do I, as does Bump, as do many of you, that the Seahawks can turn this around defensively very quickly, right? Mm -hmm. Because you have all of those resources. I mean, the number two guy on the Chiefs team in sacks, most people don't even know who he is. He was the number 30th overall pick back in 2023. He had 10 and a half sacks this year. And when you search his name, the top Google search is, who's the Greek kid on the Chiefs? <laughs> his name's George Karlaftis. Technically, George Karlaftis III. He has 10 and a half sacks. That's more than any Seahawk had this year. Now, mm-hmm. that defense, again, gets a lot of help from Chris Jones heading everything up at defensive tackle. But they've been able to really benefit, and not with a ton of star players. That's exactly what Mike McDonald was able to do with Baltimore. Yes, they had Roquan Smith. Yes, they had Kyle Hamilton in the secondary. But they had a lot of players that were on second, third, or fourth stints, like Jadavion Clowney. They had guys that were later draft picks. You look at a team like Seattle and you go, man, what does Boye Mafe look like with Mike McDonald? Mm -hmm. Right? Like, What what could a third-round rookie look like with Mike McDonald? a uh, uh, early first or second rounder in DT if you decide to sign him look like exactly. with Mike McDonald, right? Because we're hoping that if DT does come back and they sign him, like guys like him could be the difference. The guys that were right on the cusp, right? You, you see some of the ability in DT, but it disappears at times, right? I think this is where Mike McDonald um, – can take this team to the next level without hitting the draft is seeing what's here Mm -hmm. and allowing them to grow a bit. And you look at, in uh, Pacheco. When was Pacheco drafted? You know what round he was drafted? Seventh. In the seventh Sixth. round. Seventh, the seventh. seventh round. Pick 251, and the Chiefs have found a way to get this guy going. You're also getting production from a rookie receiver and Rasheed Rice, who was drafted in the second round. I'm saying I, I'm glad you brought this up because this is the way that the Chiefs have been able to do it um, is, I think, the blueprint for the Seahawks. But they do have the greatest quarterback we've seen Mm -hmm. since Tom Brady was in the game. So um, you do have to have that one piece. And you would love for it to be at your quarterback position. Uh, We don't have that here right now, but you have a guy in the meantime who I think can win some ball games. So maybe you should lean towards a quarterback with number 16 or at some point in the draft, I think they're going to go that way. And hopefully you find a guy. It's not realistic to ask for these guys to find a Pat Mahomes. Like yeah. no one's going to find a Pat Mahomes. Uh, I'll be well, well into my fifties. I think the next time we see a Pat Mahomes type of dude, but you can get the right group of guys together with the, with the right coaching staff to maximize all of their potential. Um, 
That's the mission. Uh, I was going to get to the Justin Fields stuff, but I want to take more than one minute on it, and we've got to get to four-down territory. So I'm going to bump that into NFL headlines. Um, what you guys need to know before we get to it is just a tease. Adam Schefter uh, did a local interview. He was on Waddle and Sylvie show in Chicago at ESPN uh, 1000 over there, and he shared insight on what he thinks is on the horizon for the Chicago Bears. Yes, he was asked what it might cost for another team to get Fields. I think it's doable for Seattle, but my question is whether you'd actually want to do it. So we'll get to that at 1230 in NFL headlines. Right now, let's get to four down territory. This is four down territory going inside the game with former Seahawks and Coug wide receiver Michael Bumpus. First down, Jim Harbaugh's found his offensive coordinator, but do you have any concerns? I got a little bit, right? Okay. Who, is, who is Greg Norman? That's his uh, offensive coordinator. He was a coordinator in San Francisco from 2011 to 14. There's a connection there with Jim Harbaugh. He was offensive coordinator for the Bills 2015 through 16 and the Ravens 2019 through 22. You look at their off, his offense with the San Francisco 49ers. Overall offense, the highest they got was number 20. With the Bills, the highest they got was number 13. And with the Ravens, the highest they got was number two. Why is Jim Harbaugh excited to go to Los Angeles and coach the Chargers? Who's the main reason why? Justin Herbert. It's Justin Herbert, right? Justin Herbert, by far, is one of the more physically talented quarterbacks in this league. Now, the reason why I have a little bit of concern, and I just, I'm just interested to see what Greg Norman does with this offense, is because when it comes to throwing the football, when it comes to throwing the rock, he's never had a top 10 offense throwing the football. When he was with San Francisco, 29th, 23rd, 30th, and 30th. When he was with the Bills, 25th and 30th. When he was with the Ravens, 27th, 23rd, and 13th. 13th is the best that they've gotten over there, and that was with Lamar Jackson. But what does he do well? He creates a great run game. When he was with the San Francisco 49ers, the highest they got was third. When he was with the Bills, when it comes to running the football, the highest they got was first. And with the Ravens, they were first, first, and third. So maybe you're working inside out instead of outside in. You're saying, look, I'm going to bring my guy over who understands how to run the football, how to create these lanes and these matchups so we can get it done. That leads me to believe you're either going to draft another running back or you got to sign Austin Eckler to a bigger deal. They'll probably draft the guy because you know how they do running backs dirty in this league. They sure do. Right? Do them dirty. So I'm looking at this and I go, okay, there's concerns when it comes to throwing the football, but I believe you can get the right passing game coordinator, uh, a quarterback guy over there to help out in that situation. And Greg Norman is an OG. He's been around a long time. I'm sure he's learned. He's had Kaepernick, Tyrod Taylor, and Lamar Jackson. Neither of those guys, any of those guys are pass-heavy type of dudes. If anybody is Tyrod Taylor, yeah. and he's a he's a guy who's kind of going to hang around the league for a while and be a transition guy. So, no, it, it's all good. I understand why Greg Norman is a guy over there. you got to hire guys you're familiar with. The only concern I have is how are they going to open up the pass game for Justin Herbert? I'm sure they'll hire somebody to help. Second down. Talk college ball. How's the transfer portal going to make coaching jobs in the NFL harder to get? Because these college coaches want to go to the NFL now. They're saying, I don't want to deal with having to fundraise these NIL deals. Recruiting players are different now. We just saw the Boston college head coach go to the Green Bay Packers and accept a coordinator job. Okay. Now, why are they doing this? Because it's a different dynamic with these guys. You don't have the same control you used to. A lot of these guys are going to be one and done, and they're going to go. There's something called a Power Five, right? Mm-hmm. It is now the Power Four conferences. It's really the Power Two conferences. Yep. It's the Big Ten, and it's the SEC. When it comes to NIL deals, top ten, Tennessee, Texas A&M, Oregon, Texas, Miami, FSU, USC, Arkansas, Ole Miss, and West Virginia. That was crazy. I didn't expect West Virginia to be there. Five of the top NIL schools are in the SEC. Two of them are in the Big Ten. 
So what you're saying is you got to you're going to recruit a kid, you're going to develop him, and if he has one good year, he's going to go to one of those schools because of this NIL deal. So now these coaches are saying, look, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to deal with it. I just want to go to the NFL and just coach football. I don't have to deal with fundraising and all that nonsense. That's going to make coaching in the NFL um, a tough job to get because a lot of qualified guys like head coaches from Boston College are going to take a lesser role in the NFL because they don't have to deal with all the other stuff. Third down. What should fans realize they're watching when the Chiefs and Niners face off on Sunday? You might be watching. Did I say Greg Roman? I'm sorry. Uh, Greg Greg Roman, not Greg Norman. Um, for the uh, – uh, oh, I feel like I heard um, – you might be watching the greatest tight end matchup of all time. I went through NFL history and, uh, and tight ends matchup in the Super Bowl, and you're not going to see this again unless these guys link up again, or maybe you'll, uh, uh, maybe years from now you'll see this. But Travis Kelsey is fourth all time when it comes to tight end and yards. You got Kittle, who has 6,274 yards. He's averaging about 896 a year. If he can put together four more seasons, that would put him like in the top five when it comes to tight ends. You're watching the two best tight ends I see with my own eyes. Big ups to Tony Gonzalez. Mm -hmm. Big ups to Antonio Gates. Um, big ups to Jason Witten. But these guys just move differently, right? They're good in the block game. They can stretch the, the, the ball down the field. They're also good with the run after catch. Kittle more than Kelsey. Kelsey's more of a sit in the zone type of guy. But when you're watching this, man, uh, just realize what you're seeing. You're going to see two tight ends, and I think tight ends are the key to a lot of stuff when it comes to offenses, right? They're, they're big in the run game, and they're big in the pass game, and they influence linebackers and safety to do things that they're not supposed to be doing because of their keys. So when these guys line up on Sunday, man, take a look to appreciate or take time to appreciate what Travis Kelsey and George Kittle have done to the game. You got guys like Sam Laporta who are going to be explosive the next, these next few years. You got that kid likely in Baltimore. The tight end position is on the come up, man. So uh, watch the tight ends. Appreciate what you're seeing. Fourth down. Interested in this one here. Would you want the Seahawks to interview Rex Ryan? Now, Rex Ryan, someone says uh, no Gronk. I'm talking about tight end matchups, not just one tight end. Gronk is amazing. Um, I still think these kettle moves differently than Gronk, though. Um, yeah. But would I want to hire Rex, man? I'm looking at this and... Uh, Rex is a, a great defensive mind. I love watching him when he's on ESPN or whatnot. I think you interview as many people as possible, whether it's Rex Ryan, whether it's Ron Rivera, whether he's old, whether they're young. It don't matter, right? You interview everybody, and I want them to interview people that are different, from the old to the young to the 3-4 the to the 4-3. The I mean, the more you know, the better. And you can learn some things from a guy like Rex Ryan. Yeah. Even if the personality doesn't match up perfectly or you don't believe in his philosophy, a guy like Rex Ryan is going to drop some nuggets and make you think about some things. A guy like Ron Rivera is going to do the th same thing. A guy like Mike Vrabel will do the same thing as well. You can almost bring these guys in with really no intent to hire them, and you might get blown away by one of these guys and say, you know what? I want him on my staff. The main thing is they have to be willing to support Mike McDonald. They have to be able to take the back seat and let the young man get in front of the team and operate without him feeling like, you know, he's being judged by the guy who's been in the league 10 or 15 years. So, you know what? Um, yeah, I would I would interview him. Sit him down, see what's going on, ask the right questions and determine if you want him here or not, or even if he wants to be here or not, right? He has to make a decision yeah. as well. He's got a heck of a gig with ESPN right now. So, uh, so yeah, man, I, I would definitely sit down with Rex Ryan and just pick his brain and see what he thinks. Do you think people are ever unfairly turned off by previous failure? Oh, for sure. We know that for yeah. fact. Text lines yeah. tell us all the time. Why would you hire him? He failed. I mean, it could Everyone be anyway. It could be a coach. I mean, when I mentioned yeah. Justin Fields and, and, and um, 
no disrespect to this listener for texting it in because it was a completely fair question, but uh, listener was like, why would I want another team's failed project? Right. Like, I want to draft my own, which totally fair point, but I, I do think there's like a a diamond in the rough that we respect when it comes to late draft picks and then maybe one that we can find when it comes to giving guys second or third chances with mm-hmm. other teams, including yeah. coaches. Yeah, give him a second chance. I mean, Rex Ryan was last in the league. He was a head coach. He comes back as a D coordinator. It's not like these guys are having massive failures, sitting at home for five or six years, and then they're coming back demanding the keys to the whip. It don't work that way. Also, let me reiterate. Greatest tight end matchup. I know Gronk is one of the greatest tight ends of all time. I'm talking the greatest tight end matchup. Kittle, Kelsey, watch it, love it. Yeah, listening, not always a strong suit. <laughs> when, if you already if you're already ready to be like the best tight end, what? It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't matter. You're listening to Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Uh, all right. Well, we've got some Tiger Woods news. Bump is going to love hearing that. And plus, we've got um, a group um, of uh, people that were pulled uh, ahead of the Super Bowl uh, when they talked about uh, a couple of the experiences, like what's the go-to main course for the Super Bowl? What's the go-to dip? What's the go-to whatever? I'm going to find out how well your answers line up with what the rest of Americans said. Going to be a lot of fun. Plus, getting back to Chip Kelly's ties to the current Seahawks roster. What's that mean about a potential signing? Don't go anywhere. This is The Timeline with Bump and Stacy. Brought to you by 1-800-DUIOA. It is The Timeline on Bump and Stacy. Reading you the top stories you're going to see and hear about on your own timeline. We're going to start with an ESPN poll. ESPN polled a group of Americans about this year's Super Bowl. 74% said they plan to watch at least part of the game. Yeah, we already know. It's going to be the most watched thing on television this year in the country. But let's talk about some of these questions they were asked. Bump, I'm going to ask your answer out of the choices, and then I'll tell you what the majority of the population said. You can't see the answers, can you? Don't look. Okay, here we go. <laughs> when do you think the game should actually be played? The choices are leave it just as it is on Saturday, on Sunday, but kick off earlier or Sunday, but make the following Monday a national holiday. Oh, we, <laughs> oh, we now they're leave it the way it is. Um, I understand that tradition. I get it, but I don't want that earlier on Sunday. I like that um, because it gets you time to recover, drink your water, get, write your notes, get ready to go. Um, I love Saturday. It should be Saturday because Sunday we can just lay back and recover. Um, what was the other one? It was, uh, uh oh, national holiday. The national holiday I thought was funny. That's the one, honestly. <laughs> That's that way. Everybody's happy. Uh, the no. people who want to keep it on Sunday are happy. And yeah. the people who want to turn up on a Sunday and not have to go to work the next day are happy as well. Here's what blows my mind. The most popular answer, almost 40% was just leave it as it is. The correct answer is very obviously leave it as it is, but make Monday a national yes. holiday. What are, what do you mean? Everybody's why would, happy. Why would that not be your choice? It's gotta be it. Yeah. What are you doing? Um, that was only 14 percent of respondents i don't know what they're thinking what's your go-to super bowl dip the following are your choices hummus ranch spinach artichoke guac buffalo chicken cheese or queso if i gotta choose out of those i'm probably going guac Mm. um but my homie ross mcpherson who went to uh, jackson high school in mill creek now lives in alaska 
He made like a seven layer dip seven one layers, time. So good. You know what it was too? It was the it was the last time. Uh, it was in 2012 when the Niners lost to the Ravens. Yeah. in the Super Bowl. He's got to do it again. And it was a seven layer dip that thing. And we're and we're in our what mid twenties at the time, and our minds are blown. Like, how did you learn to do this? <laughs> Where do you learn to cook? Uh, how? How, Ross? How did you get this done? Dip. Seven layer. But yeah, if I'm choosing out of those, I'm, I'm going with the guac. Okay, so I, there were like two or three that I didn't include because there's like seven possible answers here. What I'm most shocked about is seven layer dip is one of the least likely answers. That blows my mind. It's been at every Super Bowl party I've ever yeah. been to in my entire life. Seven layer dip has hummus was the least popular answer with only three percent of respondents. Some my wife would get hummus. Well, She's know, like, so what boring you, with her food sometimes. Well, what's best in hummus? Um, veggies. Uh, it, hummus <laughs> is the healthiest of all it's the options besides salsa, which was another popular option. Most popular queso dip. Yeah, I understand. Twenty five percent. Okay, cool. Not that queso from the the mini mart though, next to the Doritos. Not yeah. that dirty queso. Mm-mm. Mine would be spinach artichoke is my top choice. Um, okay, so uh, next up here, the most important main course. The main thing you are eating on Super Bowl Sunday, your choices, bump, chicken wings, pizza, nachos, burgers, barbecue, chili. Is this even, if this isn't the answer, then I've, I've lost all faith in humanity. It's clearly pizza. It's easy. Easy, big pizzas, stack them up. You get a whole bunch of pizza. You got veggie. You got you got pepperoni. You got the cheese. You got the Hawaiian. But you're looking at me like it ain't the answer. It's not it's the probably answer. wings, though. It's wings. Man. Wings is the number one answer as far as a go-to main course, even though wings are clearly an appetizer. Uh, wings, 32% <laughs> of respondents, uh, a quarter of respondents choose pizza. Pizza is obviously the choice. Uh, burgers slash sliders are 10%, then barbecue and uh, chili. Sandwich is also in here as a small percentage. The reason what? Sandwich. You got to go with, with pizza because you can multitask with pizza. Yeah. You know, when... When you're eating wings, you got to strategize. How am I going to attack this wing? Every wing has its own personality. So you got to attack the wings with the pizza. You can stand up, cheer, high five, eat, watch the game. Also, I'm just going to say this, and I mean it with all of my my soul and all of my heart. Wings are not a main dish. Wings are not an entree. I will die on that hill. Wings are an appetizer. Wings are something you get in addition to something else you get. Hey, we're getting pizza. You want wings? Yeah, add some wings on there. No one said, hey, we're getting wings. You want pizza? Yeah, add a pizza on there. Like, that's just not something that happens. Well said. Thank you. Uh, all right, we got a couple other ones on this, but I'm going to move on to some more stories in the timeline. You can check the full results of that ESPN poll up on ESPN.com's homepage right now. Las Vegas Mayor Carolyn Goodman gave an interview to front office sports about the A's pending relocation. And to be honest, she doesn't sound thrilled about the possibility. We have a very large complex, probably about 60 acres. We probably could cobble together more land so they could possibly have 100 acres. And it's in the historic old part of town, which is where all major interstate highways come together. We have seven access points to it. It is in an opportunity zone. There are all these benefits. And so when they said no, I thought, this doesn't make sense. And so why is it happening? And then I thought, well, because they really want to stay in Oakland. They want to be on the water. They have that magnificent dream and yet they can't get it. Would it be a good thing if the A's do in fact move to the Tropicana? I personally, I'm not talking about anybody else anywhere else in this community. I personally think 
They've got to figure out a way to stay in Oakland to make their dream come true. The mayor of Las Vegas, not thrilled about the A's being relocated to Vegas. Now, she did say Las Vegas has shown it's a spectacular market for Major League Sports franchises, obviously, but she's sympathetic to what A's fans are going through. She might not get reelected off of that one. She might not. Why wouldn't you? You wouldn't want the A's here. Now, again, she's a mayor, so she's looking at it from a different perspective. She's like, look, man, the people of Oakland, Mm -hmm. all that stuff, but it's a business. Imagine what the A's do. Now, Vegas already gets millions upon millions of people to visit every single day. Um, It's a destination. But you want to give them, you want to be the entertainment capital of the country. Now, of course, you got spots like L.A. who have a lot to offer. You got New York as well. But uh, I think if Vegas were to have a baseball team, you you tap in to a different demographic. The baseball heads will follow. If you put a team there, people from all across the country are going to show up to support their teams. Now, the messed up part about it is that the A's might be like the Rams in SoFi, where they don't really have a home field advantage because people come from all across the country um, to support their teams. But, uh, <clears throat> man, if I were mayor... I would definitely not be talking about they got to stay. I'd be like, come on, we, we got a spot for you and we can support you. All right. Uh, next up, Kyrie Irving had a 36.9 night, excuse me, in the Nets loss to the Mavs. He made his return to Brooklyn. Fans were wondering, according to the New York Post, why he never played like that. So he was asked, uh, hey, why didn't you play like this when you were with the Nets? He was being heckled by fans courtside. And he said, quote, thank Mayor Adams for that, bro. Mm, yeah, because he had to sit down. <laughs> He, he couldn't he couldn't work. He couldn't work in basketball is a rhythm sport. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, but you can always count on Kyrie um, to blame someone else for anything. To, to blame someone else or just have like a, a, a witty response because that's what he does. Right. He's um, he's a guy who thinks he's smarter than everybody. He's smarter than a lot of people. He's not a dumb dude. But uh, that's a perfect um, Kyrie Irving response for sure. I have been told by some people um, that I am wrong about uh, the wings, but I don't. I'm choosing not to believe your guys' truth. I'm so sorry. I, hey, again, wings live are. Your truth. Yeah. Wings are. I have ordered wings. Like I've gone to a bar and ordered wings and just had wings. Where do you find wings when you go to a menu in a restaurant? Appetizers. Appetizers. Yeah. I have never seen main course wings. Me either. Unless you go to a, someone's like, but what about Buffalo Wild Wings? Well, yeah, that's all they serve. Well, it's a other stuff too. Yeah, but, but like, let's I get be your real. Drift. I get yeah. you. You guys get what I'm saying. I'm just, I'm not backing down from that. I refuse. I refuse to. Just, I'm with you. Just what it is. I stand there united. With Last you. one. Tiger Woods mysteriously posted the vision remains the same to 1224 on Twitter yesterday. Why? Uh, well, he also tweeted he's excited to be playing host next week to the Genesis Invitational for his first competitive rounds in 2024. Tiger could announce that he is going to walk down East Lake for five minutes and I will show up and watch him. Tiger Woods can do whatever he wants. Whatever he's doing, I'm showing up and I'm watching because um, he is one of the greatest athletes of all time, one of the hardest sports of all time. I don't even care if he doesn't finish in the top 10. Whenever Tiger's out there, people are going to show up. Can't wait to see it. All right. Coming up next, Chip Kelly has some existing ties to players on the Seahawks' current roster. Does that mean he's a fit for OC here in Seattle? We'll talk about that next. Bumpin' Stacy. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. 
here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Some very interesting sound from Jackson Smith and Jigba at Super Bowl Media Day when asked about Shane Waldron, who's now the offensive coordinator with the Bears. We're going to get to that a bit later in the show. First, though, Chip Kelly's got some existing ties to players on the Seahawks roster. He is not the Seahawks offensive coordinator. He is drawing some consideration, though, according to Benjamin Solak of The Ringer. Now, we've already heard about Ryan Grubb as a potential hire. Uh, we've heard a few other names, but Chip Kelly's name was previously linked to Dan Quinn with the Commanders, now being linked to Seattle. Bump, uh, before I get to the ties on the roster, I'm going to revisit your point. You really don't mind this link to Chip Kelly. No, I don't. Um, we're waiting to see what's going to happen on offense. And I think that the fact that Chip Kelly is being interviewed lets you know that uh, they like his approach to things. And what necessarily is Chip Kelly's approach? Uh, last year, they were fifth in the Pac-12 when it comes to overall offense, 427 yards per game. But they were first when it comes to running the rock, 197 yards per game behind them were the Oregon Ducks and the Utah Utes. The reason why I like Chip Kelly's approach is because he will spread you around and run the football. I think naturally people think of the explosive offenses of 9 and 12 when it comes to the Oregon Ducks. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people associate that team with throwing the football all across the yard. Granted, he did throw the football, but everything starts off with the run. He finds creative ways to get his running backs to football. And I like the way that he uses his tight ends as well. I look at... Chip Kelly and go, look, you were the guy at Oregon for a while. You put Oregon on the map. Like Oregon was on the map prior to that, but it was like, all right, now you got a star on the map when you're Oregon. You got right? prep. For, you got to take yeah. more than a week to prepare for Oregon. Exactly. You changed the game. You introduced this hurry up type of offense to college football and to the NFL. You go to the league, have a couple of years with Philly. Last year fizzled out, and then you're with the 49ers and that personnel, which is bad. You go to UCLA, you help build a great defense over there at UCLA and an offense that found ways to win while rotating quarterbacks. All the things that Chip Kelly has learned over the years, I think, will benefit a Mike McDonald-led Seattle Seahawks team. Uh, one, because you learn from your your failures of what I earned success, but two, because the way that he ran that offense with UCLA, I could see working here with the Seattle Seahawks because uh, Geno was best under center play action. That They did a lot of that with UCLA. They weren't shotgun as well. And um, like we're going to talk about, he's got connections here. You already got two players here that played for UCLA. Jake Bobo was that Duke, transferred over, had about 700-something yards, eight touchdowns this last year. And then we all know who Zach Charbonnet and what he did. All right, so let's talk about some of these connections, as you just mentioned, with uh, with Zach Charbonnet, with Jake Bobo obviously being from UCLA. But we're going to revisit some of Chip's comments about that. So cut number six, uh, this is what Chip Kelly had to say about Charbonnet. I think Zach's just a tremendous person, first and foremost, and – I know going into the draft, everybody comes in and they always, and Brock, Brock knows it firsthand, they're going to poke and prod and try to find something wrong with any prospect. And and Zach's one of the kids that I've, I've always said this, is that the only red flag with Zach Charbonnet is there are no red flags. I mean, he does everything. A huge, huge fan of Charbonnet, obviously his favorite trait. I, I really love his vision. I think he's got... And it's a combination, I think, his vision and his patience. You know, some guys are always, they're hitting it too quickly and they're they're not letting it develop. And I think he's he has a really good understanding because he's a really smart kid of blocking schemes and where plays are supposed to hit and the timing of plays. Um, he really lets plays develop in front of him. And then when it, it does open, you know, he'll take off and hit it. You know, we always talk about it speed through the hole, not to the hole. Um, and a lot of times that's clinic talk, but but Zach really, you know, that's how he plays. Is there any element of intrigue or interest 
added for you in terms of a potential Chip Kelly hire because of his knowledge of Zach Charbonnet? Yeah, I mean, when you work directly with a guy who can potentially carry the ball for you, it allows you to to draw up things um, in a way that benefits him because you know that guy. All coordinators are going to do their best to figure out <clears throat> what each guy does best. Mm-hmm. With him, he comes in, he goes, I already know what he does, mm. right? Um, let's see how much he's improved since I last had him. You can say the same for Jake Bobo. So familiarity is always always nice, man. Charbonnet was no joke in college. 1,300 yards, 7 yards per carry, 14 rushing touchdowns. Can also receive the ball as well. That was one thing that I was waiting to see what the Seahawks were going to do. How are you going to use him in, in your pass game? Because I, I knew that he was great out the backfield. Uh, this year, he had... 33 receptions for 209 yards and no touchdowns. So they they attempted to give him the football. But again, when you're playing behind Ken Walker, kind of hard for you to get into your groove and find your rhythm. So, no, I would um I'd be interested to see what Chip Kelly could do with two running backs like Ken Walker and Zach Charbonnet and the tight end room and the receivers they have over there. Um Chip Kelly knows what he's doing, man. So um no, I'm intrigued. I woke up this morning and saw that or went to sleep last night yeah. and saw that he was being interviewed and uh, just the possibilities started going through my head. You know what you mentioned uh to open the show that Chip Kelly, the red flags that people had about him, that some of them were about, oh, you know, the NFL adapted to his offense, can he readapt? And you were like, ah, I kind of had some of those questions answered when I saw some of what he was doing at UCLA and knowing that the NFL has even more elements of the college game than it did before. So you were like, I've seen a shifting NFL and and I and I'm kind of curious to see what he can do. But you did acknowledge that there were red flags about his personality and about being an old school guy. And you said, I really would not mind that. I really wouldn't nah. care. You still you think it can still work. My question, do you think though that it can work with today's players? Yeah. He's shown that it can work. He was yeah. at UCLA and, and if you know anything about UCLA, one, it's hard to get into that school. Mm-hmm. So you're not gonna get the pick of the litter when it comes to uh the top athletes out there. Um, it's hard to get into that school. Therefore, you have to do you have to do more with less than um, other schools in the conference. Now, obviously, they get more than guys like Oregon State, Washington State, um, maybe even Cal because Cal's hard to get into. But you're facing a different dynamic, and to see just how solid that team was, and I'm looking at their personnel and I'm watching them execute. Um, I think it was impressive. And also, we talk about how the NFL game now resembles what college football used to be. Why? Chip Kelly's one of the reasons why the NFL game resembles what college was because you get guys like Chip Kelly that get into the NFL and bring dynamics and, and ideas to the league. They don't just disappear once he leaves. Yeah, he left, went to the Niners, went back to college, but mm-hmm. he's got guys who worked for him, guys who studied him, who carry that stuff on year after year. So honestly, I think it's a perfect time for Chip Kelly to get back in the game. I mean, he, again, the same reason I like Mike McDonald. One of the reasons is because he's connected to college football. Same reason why I like Chip being interviewed. Uh, we are heavy on the Seahawks today. They're in the middle of this coaching search, and obviously that's dominating a lot of the conversation. Obviously, we're also just a few days away from the Super Bowl. However, we do have two big conversations to have about the Seattle Mariners. One, coming up at 1.30, the latest from Jeff Passan. Brock and Salk asked him what he thought about a now mostly completed Mariners roster. He had lots of interesting things to say. That's coming up at 1.30. First, though, Mariners broadcast Gary Hill joins us next.